Okay, listeners, we're back on the Adrian Bow podcast and we're up to episode 87. And today I'm delighted to be sitting down with um, the co founder and principal of PPD Real Estate, uh, Mr. Jason Panzer. How are you, mate? Hi, Adrian. Thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure, mate. Pleasure. So we're just sitting here in your Coogee office, just having a bit of a chat, yeah. just generally about stuff. Um, so, I think it's it's really important for a lot of people to understand the genesis of this particular business, um, you know, because it did emerge from sort of a different partnership and now you've got, you know, Alex and yourself primarily um, running the business with, with a really good roster of sales agents, I must say. Um, but originally it came from another partnership between uh, another party as well. So sort of was it was it strategic or did it happen by default, do you think? Oh, no, it definitely happened by, well, it happened by default, but I guess it was strategic at the same time. We, uh, we couldn't agree terms in the old partnership. Yeah. So the only option was to go and set up our own business, our independent business. Yeah. Um, we spoke to Debbie at the time who was in business with us as well and still is. Yeah. The matriarch of our company. Yeah. And the three of us uh, joined a new partnership. So we dissolved the previous one, joined the new partnership about eight years ago now. Mm. We're now eighth year, yeah. So, mm. um. We've been together though for Debbie, Alex, and myself have been together for seventeen years. It's a long time. It's a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, I know about your previous life, but not a lot of people would, Jace, in that you used to work in the financial markets prior to going into real estate. Yep. So tell us a little bit about that after you left school and how that worked out. Well, after I left school, I went to university, got an economics degree. And then, uh, actually, ironically, I finished, when I finished university, I remember sending LJ Hooker a letter. I've still got a copy of the letter. Right. I wanted to go into real estate, uh, but they declined me mm. as a 23-year-old straight out of university, which was disappointing. <laughs> so They'd be regretting that. Oh, no. <laughs> so uh, I ended up getting into the, into the markets and spent a bit of time with some of the, the big American banks and the Canadian bank as well and spent some time in Sydney and New York and in London. And uh, post the September 11 attacks back in 2001, I managed to get a transfer back home. And it was at that point that uh, I had a re- long-standing relationship with Debbie mm-hmm. Donnelly. Um, Debbie, Debbie used to babysit me as an eight-year-old. Wow. So she yeah. won't like hearing that. Uh, and, my, uh, my first job with work <laughs> together, actually, she's always been an outstanding person and agent. Yeah. yeah, she's a yeah. So I gave Deb a call and just said, I'm going to change careers. Mm-hmm. Can you uh, find a seat for me? Commission only, mm. let me have a crack. Mm. So I set myself a goal of three to five years. As you know, it doesn't happen overnight. Mm. I had to subsidise myself for that period of time. And I was 30, yep. 32 at the time. So it was an interesting time to change careers. And uh, the rest is history, mate. 16, 17 years later, actually. So if, if it wasn't with the relationship for Debbie, would real estate have, have sort of come to mind? Or did you always have it festering in the back of your mind while you're in the financial markets? No, I, I didn't have it festering, actually. I, when I came back home, I thought, what, what is it that I can do? Mm. And as we know, there's not many barriers to entry to get into real estate. Mm. So I just thought I'd have a crack at real estate. I actually had no idea. Mm. If you said to me, Jason, what do you want to do with your life? Mm. I still couldn't answer that question for you, mm. other than be a racing car driver or a professional tennis player. Mm. Uh, but I was never good enough for that. Why wasn't continuing in the financial markets an option when you came back to Australia? Just you'd been over it at that point? I was over it. I was a little mentally scarred after the September 11 attacks. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I needed a change. Mm. 
And uh, I also wanted a different lifestyle. Mm. Working in the markets, as you know, you know, you're in there at when the markets are open. You know, yeah. that could be from 8.30 in the morning till 5.30 or depending on what market you're doing. Sometimes mm. I was working the night the night shift as well. So yeah, mm. you're in, in work till 4.30 a.m. And mm. so I just decided I wanted to make decisions. I wanted a lifestyle where I was calling the shots. Mm. If I want to go away for 12 weeks a year, mm. I want to be able to make that decision. The American banks, you get 20 days a year holiday mm. and that's it. And you Perfect. check in and you check out. Yeah. So, yeah. So it, was, it was almost like a dictatorship type of type Very of much so. Yeah. yeah, very much so. So I wanted to get away from that. And and also I, I like the idea of being remunerated based on your effort. Mm. Rather than just a fixed, pretty much invariably the financial markets is fixed. I mean, there are bonuses and things, but, but invariably fixed. Yeah, right? and the thing about the bonus pool in the financial markets is you could have a cracking year, mm. but then the, the, the greater business could have had a disastrous year. Mm. So then the bonus pool's depleted. Mm. So you weren't in control of your destiny. In real estate, you're in complete control. You want to make 100 phone calls a week and pick up a couple of listings, you can. You want mm. to make 10 phone calls a week and pick up one, you can. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, we share that in common. But I, I was only in it for a year when I first left school. I worked for Renault Rifkin, who was quite a, oh, yeah. uh, quite a notorious yes. uh, 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 stockbroker at the time. But it was very different. That's in 1989. So, like, they still had chalkies and things there. That was, yeah. It was very different. But it was an interesting um, segue into real estate. And I was yeah. the same. I just sort of fell into it. Um, but you're talking about bonuses. But you and I have both sold in markets, Jace, where we dealt with a lot of Macquarie bankers and let's just call Macquarie bankers as a metaphor for the markets, right? And we always knew that bonus period because they'd be looking to buy yeah, a house. So, yeah, yeah. so there must be some truth to it that that, or is that, are those sort of, are those days sort of gone now? Yeah. Uh, they're long gone. Mate. Right, I mean, look, yeah. the, the, the financial markets, in my opinion, and where the big bucks is, is usually in the corporate finance divisions, right. like M&A, putting those deals together. Yeah. That, that, that's where they get the nice big bonuses. The trading floor now, um, and, and the brokerage industry. Tight margins, right? Very tight. Yeah, yeah. You know, mate, you can jump on Comsec and do it yourself for yeah, free. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. And, and, mate, now that you've got the luxury of hindsight, Jace, and then you look back, do you think you achieved your objective of, of a more flexible lifestyle and more autonomy on your own time? Yeah, absolutely. You yeah, have? I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think... Uh, Running running PPD as a business uh, certainly eats into the, my, my time a little bit. Mm. Um, very different to being sort of a commission only agent and working mm. for another for, for a brand, I guess, mm. where you just got to come in and worry about yourself. Mm. Uh, at the moment, my, my my role here is you know I still do my eighty to one hundred deals a year personally within my team, but mm. running the sales business, the property management business, mm. the IT, the marketing, the mm. the cash flow, the accounts, all of that. Right, so that consumes a little bit more time than I'd like. In saying that, I've got a really good team behind me mm. from operations, marketing, uh, accounting. I've got a fabulous CFO. So they, they take a lot of those pain points mm. um, are delegated out, yeah. which starts to free up my time a bit. Yeah. So I mean, you said eighty to hundred deals, like in a quite in quite a cavalier manner, right? That's still like in the top ten percent volume-wise in the country. And you, you spoke about it as if it's sort of, you know, you're only sort of donating part of your time towards it. So, so that's very modest of you. But what, what, what's, what do you think the real configuration of your time is, like time towards running the business and time towards listing and selling? Oh, I'd be spending 
at least 70 to 80 percent of my time running the business, Run the business yeah. that's incredible that you're still able to pull off 80 or 100 transactions a year that's that's huge oh, yeah. i've got a good team mm. i mean I'm charlie charlie beaumont's been with me 10 years Tristan was with me for eight years now they're yeah. both out on their own which yeah. is fabulous to see yeah and they're building their own teams yeah haynes has been with me three years my ea has been with me five years so yeah i've got the people around me are fabulous and if 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 time becomes an issue and i've got some listings of we've all got a bunch of i guess consultants contractors yeah our agents that um consult to our brand yeah and uh i know alex certainly uses those agents to help him with his volume and, and I do the same. Yeah, that's brilliant. So we, we spoke about Tristan and Charlie, like they're really good examples or even metaphors of probably the best form of recruitment really if you're looking for standalone agents. So anyone listening to this who's sort of got a franchise or an independent business or whatever, I, I, I think they're a bit deluded around what's involved in recruitment. Like it's actually not as easy as what people think. Even if you're dangling a fantastic piece of technology or a really high commission split, whatever it is, um, the best form of recruitment is exactly how you've just described it, which is I call it organic recruitment, which is your associate agents becoming lead agents, right? Absolutely. So is that is that by design and is that a very specific recruitment piece that you guys focus on as a business? Yeah, yeah, it is, absolutely. I think um, if you look at our some of the agents within our business, um, Daniel Cash is a good example. Mm. He worked for Debbie Donnelly for a long period of time. Top agent. Um, and a lovely guy as well. And so uh, Debbie got Dan up to speed and then moved him on. Mm. Uh, he, he, he's now writing really good numbers. Um, and, and Charlie and Tristan, for me, will do the same. Mm. Um, they're writing great numbers as well. Mm. And, yeah, I think so. I think what we like to do here at PPD is, bring people in at the grassroots level. Uh, Charlie came out of Revisis. No, no corporate experience at all, mm. no real estate experience, mm. but came in fresh and green and was willing to learn, was hungry as, and still is, mm. and uh, did all the hard yards. And whilst it's, it's taken 10 years, he's now got the confidence to get out there and do it on his own, and he's going to do really well. So, yeah, it, it is an intentional recruitment strategy to breed from within. You've obviously tried, like I have, running businesses where you recruit a so-called standalone agent either from another business or from another industry who doesn't have momentum, doesn't have a database uh, and doesn't necessarily have a decent personal marketing budget. It's hard, right, to get them cranking. And a lot of time and resources go into it, right? Yeah, it is. It's really tough. Mm. You know, we, we, we have invested in those kind of agents, mm. um, both financially and time, mm. investment of time. And we hope that we, we can get them up to a, a level whereby the, the internal training that we give them and just the processes and the brand and the way we do things here at PPD mm-hmm. should hopefully get them to a level where they are standalone and can get out there and write some good numbers. Interesting. So you mentioned eight years the brand's been up going for. Yeah. Right? I think a lot of people would be surprised with that and a lot of people would think, geez, they seem like they've been around a lot longer, right? Um, it's only because you know I think you, you, your your profile is 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 you know is very high in the marketplace. The volume of sales you guys do is very high on a per agent basis. Okay, um, and also it seemed like when you launched, your traction was immediate. Um, what's what 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 was the magic dust? I mean, I know I know that's sort of a bit of a rhetorical question and there's no magic dust because it's a combination of doing a lot of things. But if you had to put it down to one or two things that helped you gain that instant traction and such a prolific profile today only after eight years, 
what, what would you put it down to? Oh, mate, you probably have to put it, it's not rocket science what we mm. do, we've talked about this earlier. Mm. It just comes down to hard work. Mm. And we worked really hard. Mm. We worked hard on getting the brand together. Mm. We, we've worked hard, worked hard on our recruitment. We've worked really hard building our property management business up. Mm. And um, I just think having integrity in, in what you do and also being accessible 24 mm. seven to the point where you have no life, mm. uh, that's what we did. Mm. And the rewards of that are paying off now where we can, we've got more time and we can get out there and enjoy ourselves that little bit more. Mm -hmm. And we have built up a fabulous team and a really great culture. We're really proud of the culture that we've got here at PPD. Often it's something that sounds arbitrary and intangible. If you had to create some tangibility around it and describe it in terms of, you know, the yep. PPD culture, how would you summarise it in, in a sentence or a few words? Strong work ethic. Accessible, hungry, honest, transparent, and a good communicator within the business. Okay. The, the, what, what we've tried to avoid, and I think successfully so, is internal conflict amongst agents, mm -hmm. which is something that, that the business, the industry struggles with. Sure. We don't have internal conflict. And, you know, we're not perfect. You know, we occasionally we, we have agents who are mm. competing for the same business. In that situation, it's brought to the boardroom. We resolve it instantly. Mm -hmm. There's no issues. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a, a lot of respect amongst the team. Mm -hmm. I hope to think that, right? We're always going to have, when, when you've got 50-odd people in your business, there's 50-odd personalities. Mm. Not everyone's always going to get on, but we manage it well. That's really good. And, and I think what you just said, it, it, it could be, drawn to a sports analogy, it's like when you're on the field, the ref might make a decision that goes against you. You don't stand there for an hour and argue with him or her. Like you just run back and tackle harder, right? So I think the same attitude needs to be adopted in, in real estate. It's like, you know, no one owns clients. Just because they're in your database, that doesn't mean anything, right? Yeah. It's a relationship. And you know what? If it means that you've got to do it together, then that's the sort of abundance mentality you're, you're speaking of, right? It's yeah. just do it together, do what's best for the client rather than just going, oh, I own this client or I spoke to them first. And I know that you guys have got a policy around data that unless you've serviced it, correct me if I'm wrong, but unless you've actually spoken to it or serviced it within three weeks or a month or something like that, then it's, it's, it's free for all. Is that right? Or? Oh, it's not necessarily free for all, but we've got, we've got an internal database mm that is open, is, is open yeah. to everybody. Yeah. We don't have individual databases, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, and same for our listings. If we use HomePass. Yeah. Uh, so any, any agent in our business can log on to any property that we're marketing mm -hmm. and go and call the buyers that have inspected those homes. And if, that, if by calling those buyers that have inspected those homes, if one of those calls then lead to a listing, then that agent takes that listing. It means the other agent wasn't good enough or, or was, was too slow or simply didn't follow up enough. It must be a, a quarantine period, though, that, that the agent is allowed to do the callbacks before, yeah, so, yeah, before it is open, opens. Yeah, there is. So once a, property, once a property is sold, the agent's got 72 hours to get their sold calls done. That's brilliant. Three days. If they haven't done it in three days, you can be rest assured that every other agency out there would be calling the streets, letting them know about our site. So it might as well be one of your agents. 100%. So they've got 72 hours, mm -hmm. and then it's open slather to anybody in the office. That's an incredible... We don't, our, our team don't 
don't go out of their way to grab other agents' call sheets and make calls, right? Sure. You know, if you've just sold something for three million bucks and the sales calls are done 72 hours later, then you list something else for three million bucks in a different mm-hmm. suburb. You want to call those buyers and see if you can cross-sell them, yeah. bring them from one suburb across to your listing, to your new listing. So the business operates really efficiently like that. What I like about that, Jace, is that you've created the framework not not as a dictator to say, look, if you don't do it, but what it does do is create urgency for, for the agents to make the calls. And the best part of it is the 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 biggest beneficiary of all this is the customer. Absolutely. That's what I love about it. Like yeah. the buyer and the seller yeah. is the biggest beneficiary. So, so if you, if every one of your agents is not talking about that at the listing appointment, they should because that's a massive USP in my opinion. Oh so, yeah, they do, they do. We, we put, we've got some good marketing collateral around that that goes out with all our just listed kits, just showing number of sales, number of people that we that we meet at our properties. Yeah. And um, you know, we, we can break it down by price point as well. You know, if you list something for three million bucks, we can show the last dozen homes that we've sold for three, how many people have come through. We've got all the intel on these buyers mm. and all that information is available to every one in our business. Well, in fact, there's no reason why an agent couldn't sit in a lounge room and actually show the home, home pass. And we do. Yeah, 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 we yeah. Do. We That's do. great. Absolutely. So what, what would you say to, to a business owner or an agent listening to this who's, who, who's listening to your abundance mentality around recruitment where you're like, you know what, I don't mind if an agent works for me for three years and then does their own thing, um, and also around data, and, and they might have the opposite mentality, which is a scarcity mentality, which is, oh, shit, I don't want anyone to leave my team because then I'm going to be competing against them. I don't want to share my list. What, what advice, like what pragmatic advice would you give them? Yeah. We've got two separate sides of the coin here. One, from a, a business owner standpoint, I, I want our agents to flee the nest. Mm. I want them to get out there and stand on their own two feet. I think it's good for them as, as individuals, right? And I also think it's great for, the, for us as a business. So I really encourage that. The last thing I want is somebody under my wing for 10, 15 years with absolutely no aspiration or desire or ambition to get out there and do it themselves. Mm. Uh, for, for an individual agent, I understand that you want to build up a business within a business mm. and, and I encourage that as well. But the agents that are working for other agents in our business, so the assistants and the, the, the PAs and mm. the, the, I guess the lead generators mm. and those kind of, those kind of, personalities they should be encouraged to to i guess learn the trade underneath that agent and then with the view of getting out there and setting it up on their own but not everybody wants that mate you know like some people in life don't want that some people want to come in and work nine to five Mm. they want to have job security Mm. and they don't have a desire to go out there and write 10 million bucks a year and there's nothing wrong with that Mm. absolutely Mm. nothing wrong with that you've got to respect that and you need you need those personalities within the business for the business to to function you you can't have a business just full of high flies Mm. it'll end up in it will be a disaster. Mm-hmm. You guys, as you know, it'd just be a mess. Yeah, I agree. And I think the associate model is really important for any associates listening to this to stay with their lead agent as long as practical, really. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of associates say, I want to be my own agent. But what they're really trying to say is I want to earn more money and get more market profile. The good news is you can achieve both of those working within a team. And I often refer to, to Ben Collier and say, look, you know, there, there's a bloke that stayed with James Dack for, you know, 10 to 15 years or something and hit the ground running like 
you know, incredibly well and now is one of the top agents in the country. So that's probably an extreme example, but there's many others, isn't there, that we can refer to. Plenty that have worked on your team, plenty have worked on Alex's team. You talked about, Jace, um, before when you set up the business and even to today about um, making sacrifices and sort of, you know, um, you know, other areas of your life that get cannibalised, like personal personal life, I'm assuming, is what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Um, is that a necessary sacrifice when you're building a business, whether whether you're a business owner or a, or an agent who's running a business within a business? Is that just part of the deal? Like, if, well, you, if you're I, serious, I, yeah, I think it has to be. Mm. You know, I think I think everyone talks about work life balance, mm. uh, and I reckon that's all rubbish. You know, you, you if you if you want to set yourself apart from everybody else, you need to work harder. Mm. And there's only so many hours in a day. Mm. And when when you've got um, other things in life like family and kids and so forth, it, it becomes a juggling act, mm. right? But I said to my wife just a couple of days ago, I said, I've been working six days, weeks, if not seven day weeks now for 17 years. Mm. I said, this year, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to coach my daughter's touch football team, which means I need to be there at 3.30 on Thursday afternoon for an hour to, to train. Mm. And it means I need to be there on the Saturday or the Sunday for game time. Mm. And I'm going to make that commitment and do that. But I haven't, I've got the business to a point now that enables me to do that because I've got a fabulous team around me. I couldn't have done that mm. when I first set up. I didn't have the time. Mm. So they're the kind of sacrifices that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you think that um, that if someone is wanting to achieve any mastery level of any area, whether it's, health, you know, or whether it's fitness or whether it is sales or whatever it is, it, it's just inevitable that one other area of their life will be compromised. It's it inevitable. Be. It has to be. Yeah, yeah. Because to achieve, depending on what your goals are, you need, you need discipline, you need routine, yeah. right? And if you start compromising the routine, then, then you're, I guess you're freeing up some time, but then you're not going to achieve the ultimate goal. Yeah. I agree. So, so you know, what you said about the work-life balance being a misnomer, I agree. I think, I think for the real estate industry, it needs to be called the work-life harmony because they're actually not mutually exclusive. Work and life are actually, they're connected, you know. Mm. So, so I, I think you're right in that, that it is a bit of a misnomer. And if you're in real estate, it's not a nine-to-five job that you were talking about previously. It's a lifestyle. And in fact, you could like I I I I bet you that three thirty on a Thursday, even though you're saying you're going to commit to actually you know coaching your door, you're going to probably pick up listings from doing that. Oh, you know, just by that. default, you know. Yeah, maybe that that's not the uh, motivation to do it. I know, but it's it's it, it's it's inevitable. It's unavoidable, right? That that might happen. That might happen. But I um, you know, I've heard so many agents get interviewed over the years, Adrian, where they they talk about this work life balance mm-hmm. and. I mean, how many times have I heard agents saying, right, my alarm clock goes off at 4.30 in the morning. Bugger mm. that. 4.30 in the morning? I'm not going to have 4.30 in the morning for anyone. The only time I want to be awake at 4.30 in the morning is if I'm coming home from a big night out. Yeah, That's yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. But up at 4.30, I'm in the gym by 5. Yeah. You know, I have, my, for everyone. I have my breakfast at 5.46 a.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all. That's not what I call balance. Either. Yeah. No, I agree. It's extreme. It's just it's extremism. Extreme. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Not all agents are like that, but there are a stereotype agent that fits fits that agenda. Um, so going back to PPDs of business, so on average now, what's the volume of sales we're doing per year? We are going to do 
700 plus sales this year. Mm -hmm. This calendar, calendar year, calendar, yeah. yeah. We did 600 last calendar year. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, whilst stock's a little more challenging to obtain at the moment, mm -hmm. it's a bit scarce out there, I'm confident that um, each year our team grows. Uh, and when I say grow, not we don't grow in numbers, but each individual team grows in the, in the volume that they're doing. Mm, yeah. right? Longevity breeds success in this business, as mm. you're aware. So uh, the snowball keeps growing for those teams, so they're going to write more and more deals. So I'd like to think that the business is going to be 700 plus deals this year. That's incredible. That's a huge amount. And with an average sale price of, of what we're talking about? Oh, it's probably about 2.6, 2.8. Yeah, so you, you guys can do the math there, guys, in terms of what sort of GCI. We won't be asking Jay that, but you can certainly do, do the numbers. That's, that's, a, that's a huge business. And what about property management? What have we, Amongst the three of, three offices, what's, what sort of property management size have we got at the moment? We've got about 1,000 landlords on the books, mm -hmm. uh, which majority of those we've grown organically over the last eight years, mm -hmm. um, purely piggybacking off the sales team, right? Mm -hmm. The sales team does five, six, seven hundred mm -hmm. deals a year. Mm -hmm. um, there's some good traction there off the back of that. So we've had a couple of acquisitions along the way, mm -hmm. uh, which we've done, which we've, which have worked well and we've been we're happy with. But the, the team we've got 15, I guess, members of the of the staff are property in the property management team, mm. uh, and they do it. I mean, that's a tough gig, right? Mm. Mm. They are special people and oh. they do a wonderful job. You think about it, a thousand landlords, it's probably. 2,000 personalities there, then you've got 1,000 tenants, there's another 2,000 personalities, 4,000 personalities you've got mm. to manage. Mm. It's a big, big job, but it's a, it's a rewarding business and I know they get a lot of satisfaction when they when they get it right and they can service the client well. Now that you're equipped in hindsight in that arena as well, Jace, in terms of organic growth and purchased rent rolls, what would you recommend to principals that are looking to grow their rent rolls? Combination of both. It's got to be a combination of both. I think you, you need to be, be open-minded and, and always, you know, have a good relationship with your banker is my view. <laughs> you know, Macquarie Bank, who, who I work with, um, you know, if there's ever an opportunity out there, they're always in my ear letting me know about it. I see opportunities come across my desk, not, not weekly, but certainly monthly, mm. and some of them you jump on mm. and others, others are, are not worth it. Mm. So uh, we've jumped on three over the last eight years, mm. three acquisitions, mm -hmm. um, one large one, a couple of smaller ones. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think it's got to be a combination of both, but it really depends on the volume that your sales team's doing. Mm. You know, if, you, if, you, if your sales team's doing a, a, a lesser volume, you need to get out there and start acquiring um, because those acquisitions obviously then increase the sales volume that your business is doing as well. Sure. So when you said you, you come across opportunities and some are good, some are not so good, right? Apart from the multiple, what other metric are you applying to make that decision, whether it's an attractive opportunity or not attractive? Apart from oh, I think the big thing for me is looking at the, the landlords that own the properties. Right. You know, I, I have one come across my, my desk last year where we have one landlord that owns 60 properties. Right. I thought to myself, well, that's a bit risky. Mm -hmm. If that relationship goes sour, all of a sudden, sixty properties walk out the door. Mm -hmm. uh, so, it's not just the the it's not just the multiple. It, there's other revenue streams, of course, like you know, letting fee, renewal fees, mm -hmm. financial year report fees, mm -hmm. um, marketing costs. There, there's a there's a whole gamut of revenue streams that come into the property management business. And I think you need to look at them all, mm -hmm. see what your return on investment is going to be and then make a decision as to whether it's going to work. But ultimately, they need to be well-managed properties. And I've got a list, as long as my arm, of what I require from the vendor that's selling their 
management business to me right. that they need to provide. Yeah. And I do my due diligence on each and every management before we pay for it. Interesting. Um, in terms of our sales roster or in terms of the number of people in sales in the business at the moment, what, where, where are we at in terms of listing agents and associate agents, ballpark number? Oh, ballpark number, we've probably got, because you've got me on the hop there, um, we've probably got about 10 to 12 agents yeah. and then they've all got you know, assistants and associates, associates underneath yeah. them. With a total roster of maybe, what, thir- close to 30? Yeah, it'd be, yeah, probably about 35. 35, yeah. Yep. That's including some some admin uh, staff within those EBUs and, and associate agents, listing lead agents. Yeah, yeah each EBU's got their own administrative staff. Um, then as a business, we provide uh, marketing, a marketing team. So signboards, brochures and all that, they're not done by individual teams. That, that's um, consolidated within the business. Uh, same with the trust accounting process and um, collecting of marketing funds and all that. We, we manage that as a business. I think that's a really smart decision from your point of view, Jace, to do that because, you know, we can't just let agents be seduced just by high commissions because otherwise it's a sort of race to the top in terms of that. Um, so what you're saying is is from lists of all, which pretty much you provide that service to an agent, whether a standalone or whether they've got a team, in terms of getting the marketing live, is that right? Is it- no, so the marketing, so the, each individual sales unit will um, organise their own marketing meeting with, yes. with their vendor. Yep. They will get their photos, floor plan, ad copy, they'll get it all up and running mm-hmm. and they'll get it into our CRM ready to go. Uh, before, the, before that property is sent live, we've got a team behind the scenes that check all the compliance. So compliance is checking the agency agreements filled in correctly, mm-hmm. checking that we've got a contract for sale and a complete contract for sale, mm-hmm. uh, checking that the marketing fees have been paid. Mm-hmm. Nothing goes live without a vendor paying marketing mm-hmm. fees. I know there's all these new platforms out there, sure. pay now, pay later, mm-hmm. you know, and so forth, pay on success only. We, we, don't, use we, we, don't, we don't use any of those platforms at the moment. Mm-hmm. We're uh, currently designing our own internal platform mm-hmm. that we're mm-hmm. going to be rolling out in the next couple of weeks, which is exciting, but it's more so just to give our agents the same tools that other agents out there have got. Mm-hmm. So they're competitive in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the actual design, the marketing design, so the actual production of the signboard and the brochures mm-hmm. is done by the business. Mm-hmm. So that's a, an, an overhead that the business incurs. Mm-hmm. And um, then once the property has exchanged, mm-hmm. then that then goes over to the accounts department mm-hmm. and then accounts take it on from there and through to the settlement. Good, good. Yeah, so the, the, the agent is getting decent value, or a contractor, let's call them. They're getting decent value for whatever split they're on. For example, there's, there's a lot of support. There's a lot of support. There. I, I think so. There's a lot of support. And, you know, when agents talk to me about their splits and they, they, they everyone, everyone wants more, mm. that's human nature, right? Mm. But the thing that always is apparent to me is that running a business is risky. Mm. And you've got to weigh up what your appetite is for the risk. Mm. Right? We've got risk in everything that we do. We can have people knocking on our door trying to sue us left, right and centre mm. from, you know, from the sales business to the property management business to the mm. finance business. Mm. Like, so you've got to weigh up what, what that risk is worth. Mm-hmm. And is it worthwhile paying a rogue agent who's just going to get out there and sign up deals mm. which are non-compliant? Mm. Is it worth that mm. for that, that small split that the business gets mm. or is the risk too great? Mm. And I'm always looking at the risk. Yeah. Good on you. Um, so it'd be remiss not to talk about like Alex Phillips, who's obviously you know, one of the top agents in the country and your business partner and, and responsible for what, 
300, 250 of those 700 deals? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Alex yeah. does about two, I think he did two, 250 last yeah. year, actually, yeah. So obviously a, 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 a large percentage of, of, the, of the actual transactions. I mean, what, what do you see in him and what could people learn from, um, like I know the answer because, you know, we used to work together and I know, um, you know, he's disciplined and he's process driven, et cetera. Um, and he's one of your 430 guys, you know, he's probably, he's the opposite to you. But, but what else, what else apart from having a process and a system and being disciplined, what else sets him apart from being such, such a highly skilled and highly successful agent? Alex is, firstly, he's got an amazing team, right? He's a team of six um, and his team, are, their work ethic is second to none in the industry, mm-hmm. right? And I think Alex would agree, you know, you, you simply can't be doing that volume without a massive team and framework behind you. So he's got that. Um, Alex can get in and just list and sell. He doesn't have to worry about any other aspect of the business. Um, yeah, we're business partners and we complement each other really well there, right? He knows that I've got his back and I know that he's going to be out there bringing revenue in. So but the answer to your question is how does he do what he does? Um, mate, he's, I, I, find, I think someone like Alex, that a personality type like Alex needs to be quite robotic mm. because he loves what he does and he's passionate about his, mm. what he does. And I think that's, that's critical, right? Mm. If he, he, he's in that office at 7am every morning making phone calls. Mm. He doesn't care if he's waking you up. Mm. His view is if you don't want to take my call, you'll call me back during mm. the day when, you, when you're good and ready to have that chat. Mm. But he, he leads from the top. He, he makes 600 phone calls a week or something. We get a call register every week. Mm. And of the 50 staff we've got, Alex is always up there mm. making the most number of phone calls, mm. spending the most number of hours on the phone talking mm. to his clients. Mm. And then that kind of volume leads to listings. Mm. Mm. And then if he's doing 250 transactions a year, which is, was his record year last year, mm. then there's 250 vendors mm. that I would say 99% of them uh, over the moon with the result that Alex got. Mm. So then those 250 vendors mm. have another 100 friends each or a mm. network of 100 people. Mm. All of a sudden, there's 25,000 mm. people within Alex's circle of, mm. I guess, referrals. Yeah, sphere of influence. Sphere of influence, and what just call it. becomes a cumulative, cumulative effect. Yeah. And he's been very consistent with what he's done, uh, certainly over the last eight years with our business, mm. and that consistency and also the way he manages his team mm. is what leads to his success. Could you just explain the roles within each of those team members, the six? So he's got Prue who's been with him for many years. Yep. Um, Prue pretty much runs the team. Yep. She's like the sheriff. Operations sheriff's. manager, general manager. Operations, administration. Mm. Prue does everything. Mm. She gets clients' properties ready for sales. Yeah. And looks after the machine. presentation, the styling. Mm. Um, she's got the same work ethic as Alex. Mm. She's a machine. Then he's got... Um, He's got Dave Tyrrell. Dave's been with Alex for a long time as well. Mm-hmm. Dave uh, pretty much works with Alex on all the listings and takes care of uh, the callbacks as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex still does his own callbacks, mm-hmm. but when you've got that much volume, you need a ton of share. Yeah. Um, and then Dave brings in business. Dave opens doors for, for Dave and also for Alex, mm-hmm. and they get out there and they list it together and they've got an arrangement there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kenji's been with Alex for a long period of time as well, many years. Um, mm-hmm. same, same setup as Dave. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Vince, who was in our property management That's right. Yeah, for, Vince, for three yeah, years. Great operator. Uh, fabulous. Mm-hmm. And a really strong work ethic. Mm-hmm. 
And we brought him up through the property management ranks mm. and we promised him that we would create an opportunity for him in sales. Mm. And he slotted in really nicely with Alex and he's doing great things there and opening doors for Alex as well to get in there and list. Mm. Uh, and then uh, Alex has got another member of his team that he's, he's currently employed for, right. um, who is pretty much an, an assistant to prove, to prove. Yeah. Um, and yeah. to the running of, of the whole team. Does yeah. all the running around, you know, picking up contracts, building and pest inspections, valuations, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So really it'll be Alex, three associates at any one point, at any one point, and then support staff. But right. he, he's, he would be doing, he would be doing 80 to 90% of the listing, I would say, direct listing, yep. and 80 90% of the negotiating. Yep. say for, for, for that 250 sales. Yeah, he wouldn't have it any other way. He loves it. Yeah, no, no. He loves it. <laughs> yeah. I, I never forget doing a coaching session with him, I reckon probably 12 years ago, at Clodelli Cafe. He just said, Bowie, I just want to know exactly what you're doing, mate. And I, I sat with him for an hour and I just said, mate, like, grow your database, nurture your database, you know, be, be really, um, you know, uh, consistent on your prospecting, make sure you call your past clients. Like nothing revolutionary, right? And nobody does it. That's but the thing. Does no one, he just said, Bowie, thanks, mate. I'll do it. I'm going to do it. I'm just not going to question it. I'm just going to do it, right? And like hundreds of people have heard the same message like hundreds of times. But, um, but they don't do it, correct? Right? Correct. Yeah. correct, correct. And, and you know what, mate? I don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't do it. I, I cannot do it. I, Alex gets in there every morning yeah. and he does it all day long yeah. and he does it six days a week, if not seven days a week. He told me this year he's not working Sundays, but I don't know. That. I, don't know that, I don't know that's actually true. I think he has been doing the slight appointment on a Sunday. But it takes a special person to do that. Right? Sure. I, I, I can't. As a, as a my personality, I, I am so bored doing that. Mm. Just mm. getting in there and making those calls. Mm. Mm. I need something else, and that's why the running of the business and and the recruitment and trying to breed good staff and get them out there yeah. and writing good business, looking after property management yeah. accounts, all of that. Yeah. I find that interesting, mm. and that keeps me going. But for Alex, he just wants to get in there, list, sell, negotiate. He would hate that job. He would hate it. <laughs> he, he would hate my job and, and he couldn't do my job. Yeah. But I can't do what he does either. That's, right. That's why we complement each other really well. Mate, um, as we start to wrap up, I really appreciate your time. And I think there's some, some really valuable insights for anyone listening. Um, a few questions I ask sort of everyone on, on the back end of the podcast. Number one is, um, do you have, I know you said you don't wake up at 4.30 every day or whatever, but do you have like a daily ritual or an evening ritual, something that you do on a regular basis, whether personally, professionally, meditation, take the bed, the kids to bed every night, like what, anything at all? No. No? You just, so you, every day you're just doing doing whatever, going in the direction? I, you know what, I, before I go to bed every night, mm. I look at my diary yeah. for tomorrow. Yeah. I have a plan in my head and I decide the night before how my day is going to be tomorrow. So if my first that's appointment, my, yeah. well, I guess that's a ritual. My first appointment, my first client appointment or my first internal um, meeting is yeah. not till 10 a.m. Yeah, good. Then um, I might sleep in. Mm. I might take the kids to school. Mm. I might go and take the dog for a walk, go for brekkie with my wife. Yeah. Um, but I'll decide the night before. Yeah. So no, I don't have any, any actual rituals. I just like to do an honest day's work every day mm. and if I've done that I'm happy. Good. Good. Right. There is a ritual in there though, mate. Is there checking okay, checking your diary for the day before. Checking that um, And I know uh, it's actually it's true, I know you don't have appointments before ten because sometimes I walk on the dog 
cards and then I asked you and say good day because we live near each other. Um, I do play tennis every Wednesday. Yeah, well, that's a weird At one o'clock every Wednesday, I play tennis. So my phone is switched off from one till two o'clock every Wednesday. Yeah, that's a ritual. Um, and looking back in all your business life, maybe not just PPD, but all your business life, what's one of the better decisions that, that you've actually made? Working for myself. Right. Being accountable to myself, being responsible for the decisions that I make. And is, does that dilute at all by having business partners? Not really, because the partnership that we're involved in, as we just discussed, mm. Alex does his thing, mm. Debbie does her thing, and I do my thing. Mm. And the three of us complement each other. Mm. So it doesn't, in, in, the, in the circumstances that, that we've created, it doesn't dilute that, no. Mm. That's good. Um, next question, like what's a decision at the time that didn't look so great? It may have been a blessing now, but at the time, like business-wise that you made, that wasn't, wasn't, wasn't the best at the time. The biggest mistake I've made is I've never been a micro-manager. Mm -hmm. I've always invested time in my people and I've always expected that my people are going to do the right thing and we're always going to get mm. the, the right results. Um, I think the biggest mistake that I've made so far in this business is giving autonomy to different areas of the business mm. and trusting that the right thing's always been done. And you're saying in, in a handful of occasions that's backfired, but in many occasions it's, it's, it's gone okay. But in many occasions it's, it's gone okay, but I think any business owner needs to be across every single aspect of the business. And this comes back to what I referred to earlier, and that is your appetite for risk. Mm -hmm. So there's certain things that I, I, I pay little attention to in business, mm -hmm. and there's other things that grab my, my full attention. Yeah. And, I, and it's always about weighing up, well, where's the risk profile of those, mm -hmm. um, I guess, those decisions that need to be made for the business. Interesting. Uh, will you change your behaviours based on those references? 100%, yeah, yeah. Every, look, I live a life of imperfection. There's no question, right? Mm -hmm. I don't strive to be perfect at everything. So every day I'm learning something new about the business mm -hmm. um, and I've made some mistakes along the way and I think what's really important is to learn from those mistakes mm -hmm. and put, put, you know, procedures and process in mm. place to ensure that's that we good. don't make those mistakes again. That's good. That's really honest and authentic of you to say that. Um, last question, mate, is you get to ask me an, an, one question, anything you like. Well, I don't know. I, I struggle <laughs> running one business. How many are you running at the moment? What, eight? Uh, a couple, a couple. Yeah. yeah, I just, I don't know how you do it, but, you know, I asked you this before we switched this podcast on and you said that you just love what you do. Yeah. And I love hearing from people that they love what they do. Yeah. I yeah. wish I could say that I love what I do, but I don't. It's yeah. a means to an end for me. <laughs> so I'm jealous of that. But the question I would ask you, how do you do it? Like you bounce out of bed every day yeah. and you're away. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Now I'm, I'm one of the 430 guys that you despise. Um, and mate, you know, I've got three, I call it three shifts. So I do the, sort of 4.30 to sort of 6.30 email shift, which is equivalent to like six hours worth of work because it's sort of, yeah. yeah. And I'll do some exercise, go for a walk, or, you know, do a bit of gym or whatever, nothing too crazy. Um, and then I'm in the car by sort of 7, 
and I'm, um, you know, like back to back, either coaching agents or, or listing appointments or whatever. And then the third shift sort of back home was sort of catching up on emails and, and whatever. And um, yeah, look, for me, I, I, I love, I love what I do, both, both areas of my life, which is like the coaching, mentoring and, and sharing. Like that's a big part of me. I reckon, I'm convinced my legacy is going to be about improving the industry. I'm convinced that that's what my legacy is going to be, um, partly. And the second part will be creating a higher awareness for mental health issues in our industry because acting as a, as a coach and a business owner and as a principal, same with you, you, you would have been sitting in front of a lot of people in our industry and mental health's a problem, right? Oh, it's absolutely 100%. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, so my sort of coaching business, a lot of proceeds go to Beyond Blue and, and the Black Dog Institute because that's, that's something which will be a legacy of mine. Um, in terms of the listing and selling component, I think the opportunity cost like yours is way too high not to do it, right? Because we've got a big database. We've got a good name in the market. Um, we've got good people around us. So, so it's almost like, well, why wouldn't you do it? And, and it's when you're in front of people, um, you know that you've got a compelling, um, um, unique selling proposition, why people should work with you, right? Like in an authentic way, not in a pushy way. And I, you and I are both in that solve mode, not sell mode. So we're quite good at sitting down and actually solving people's problems. And mostly when people are selling or buying, you've got to solve their problem. Where I think the mistake a lot of rookies might make is going to that sell mode straight away. So I think that's probably why we can scale our businesses pretty well and, and have other interests, you know, um, as well as, as well as listing and selling. So, um, so what do you, what do you enjoy? What, what, what do you enjoy more? The thrill of a list and sell or the thrill of mentoring an agent outside of your business and seeing them thrive? I think that... That's a good question. It's a very good question. It's a very good question. I would say both, both. However, however, because, you know, I've been in the industry 32 years, let's, let's, let's say resi sales 27 years, mm -hmm. right? And I've sold, you know, 2,500 properties, at least 100 sales a year. I, I think after a while, it would be unnatural if the excitement levels didn't dilute after so many transactions, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so what's more novel at the moment is obviously seeing agents develop and seeing them succeed. But the currency for me is the same, not, not in, a, in, a, in a financial sense, it's just the, the satisfaction sense is the same. But I suppose it's more novel and, and newer, the fact that, you know, the last sort of five or six years, my sweet spot has been developing agents, you know, or helping business owners actually create more efficiencies in their business or whatever it might be. And it is very rewarding. It's, it's actually very, very rewarding, right? Especially when you get messages and people are like, man, I said this, I did this, I used that yep. process, I've changed my business. And it's like... Makes you feel good, huh? Yeah, it's good. So it's, 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 it's a, it's, I think it's a really important um, uh, message there for anyone is that you've got to be on purpose. Like J Jace is saying that it's a means to an end, but still... Yeah, he enjoy you enjoy the operation side of things. It's 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 it is despite it being a means to an end. It's also an end in itself because you know, like every day you're doing that, you're changing people's lives. You know, your staff are benefiting, clients are benefiting, everyone's benefiting, right? Um, That's true, but I'd still prefer to be a Formula One racing car driver. <laughs> Why don't you? <laughs> oh, mate, I've missed that boat. I'm too old for that now. Really? I, I might have to. Uh, if I want to be, if I want to be a sporting success, which I would like, like to be, yeah. 
I'm thinking uh, with my back, it might have to be long bowls, which is really depressing. Yeah, that's what you've had a couple, a couple of back Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, long bowls could be where it's headed. Um, well, listen, really appreciate um, this chat. I think people are going to get a lot out of it. And um, good, good to catch up. Thanks, mate. Pleasure, mate. Thanks again, Jace. No worries, mate. Thanks. Thanks, listeners. We'll see you next time.